Smith with a track called Accept Yourself that came from a John Peel session many decades ago. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show.
welcome once again. I'll be playing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, playing the finest in indie pop as I travel time, space and genre. This week's special guest is going to be Goodbye Mr McKenzie, all the way from Scotland. I caught up with their frontman Martin Metcalf a few weeks stroke months ago. So I'll be bringing you that interview throughout the show, plus my usual award-worthy playlist. But because we're feeling very biased towards the band, I thought we should play that track, which is also called Goodbye Mr McKenzie. Sit back, relax, turn up your stereo.
the skids and the track called the saints are coming here we saw recently at the waterfront in norwich and also i just realized or just noticed that they're coming back to norwich in 2019 yes next year they are forward planning i do like a band who does that and before that we had our special guest the one and only goodbye mr mckenzie i know it's still sounding amazing and that was the track called goodbye mr mckenzie that came from their album good deeds and Dirty Rags, which also uh, the single featured on the B-side, a track that they covered, a Nick Cave song called Knocking on Joe. I know, I'm all about the facts. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And this week's special guest is the one and only Martin Metcalf, who was the lead vocalist, singer, songwriter and general groovy person at the beginning, at the front of that band. So I'm going to bring, bring you that interview quite soon because it's quite a lot of it. And um, it was an engrossing interview. So I'm going to play another track by the band. This is called Blacker Than Black. And then we'll have the first part of that riveting interview. I know. Stay tuned. <laughs> Side when the day 
There you go. That was the opening track from the album Hammer and Tongs, Blacker Than Black. And that was recorded in the late 80s, 89 to be precise, at the Hansel Studio in Berlin, where David Bowie, Tony Visconti and Brian Eno all got together and did the Low album. So there you go. Yes, that famous studio that we've all come to love. Anyway, this is David Easter on the C86 show. If you want to contact me... I always love your messages. This, uh, you can do it via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86show and I will be there and it'll be great. But anyway, this week's special guest is Martin Metcalf from Goodbye Mr. McKenzie, who I caught up with recently. And this is going to be the first part of my interview where I ask him that incredibly thrilling question about how the band began. Martin, take it away. Um, well, we formed out of, out of the ether, really. We didn't really, uh, we, we didn't, we weren't one of these bands that had a manager first and then formed kind of thing. Uh, we we did it ourselves. Um, we 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 all learned how to play on our own in our bedrooms, kind of thing. Mainly, um, I had a friend called Willie who used to. I used to go into his garden hut and he had a guitar amp set up there, and he used to smoke something and uh, 
teach me how to play Leonard Skinner songs and things like that. Right. But I, I mean, I, I was into punk really. That's what what got me started. So, you know, we we just from from punk we knew that you just had to you know three chords and have something to say, and then off you went. So, we formed. We had there were two schools in Bathgate. One was the Protestant one. One was the Catholic one. This is uh, sectarian Scotland we're talking about up here. <laughs> and um, we had, I was in a band in the Prodi school, and and um, Derek Kelly was in the band in the Catholic school. And I ended up he- helping his band out playing guitar for them. And then over time, we just kind of merged, and um, we moved to Edinburgh, and started working in a studio which was small, cheap. But kind of infamous little studio that um, lots of bands came out of. Um, Wolf had recorded all the kind of cool. The guy that ran the studio had recorded all the cool bands in Edinburgh. Um, not that we were, but uh, he he had recorded the Fire Engines, Joseph K, and all these kind of scratchy, post-punk, funky, you yes. know, kind of Scottish bands. And uh, he he. He got involved with he found management for us, and that management happened to be wet wet wet's management. Strangely enough, strange fit as it may sound, and he kind of got us the guy who was wet wet wet's manager got us started, and and we we started presenting you know demos to record companies, and eventually after putting in a couple of indie singles out, we got a, a major record deal. Yes. and that's where you that's about the time you would have um, seen the band. Yeah, Norwich. So that was it. That was the beginnings of it, and also because that, that was kind of an interesting period because that early eighties people often forget, but it was quite a grim time, economically and sort of politically. Mm-hmm. Things were quite split, wasn't it? Well, I mean, uh, well, the north and south became much more split. I mean, London became started to become its own city state. Then, really, when Margaret Thatcher, you know, wanted to get, you know lose the industry, the sort of heavy industries and, and start focusing on finance and service industries and, and basically that left the kind of northern half of the country which started, you know, in Birmingham or, or so, uh, right up the way and it split the country in two in a way. So yes. um, the reason being that the money really might, or, you know, uh, moved to London and uh, the fantastic indie scene that sprung up out of, of punk and, and the DIY sort of ethos, um, in a way it kind of died off because things kind of, in a way, became London-centric again for some reason. Um, but by the mid-80s and late-80s, Scotland had reared... I think Scotland embraced the, for good or ill, it embraced the commercialised music industry and a lot of Scottish fans got, got big deals in those days yeah. and um, but indie music really kind of you know after about 82 there were very few basic rock bands that were, were, were doing very much I mean what happened was the, um, the, the, the engineers took over the show because the digital age came in and they had much more control in the studio than they could sample things and re, you know redo hi hats and that kind of weird all you know, that sort of microscopic stuff and they took over and and music became a bit plastic sounding during the 80s and a, a lot of a lot of bands suffered because yeah. of that it could have been great 
Well, it was interesting because yeah. it was kind of as a, as a, a kind of indie kid who was a bit obsessed with the whole John Peel show and the NME. Mm-hmm. That the music yeah. scene of the eighties was like you had the, tr- the the sort of Trevor Horn sort of sound quality, and yeah, Dire Straits and Tina Turner, that production mm-hmm. of ABC, mm-hmm. or you had mm-hmm. all these kind of very rough and ready bands that was sort of part, you know, people. I suppose you had on one level you had the Smiths, and then you had those bands like mm-hmm. Big Flame, Bogshed, Stump, and mm-hmm. and sort of. Those very kind of like we've got a fuzz box and we're going to use it. So, those mm-hmm. th- that kind of production level was so different. And as an mm-hmm. in, as an indie kid, you know, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely hated the top of the pop scene at that period. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I'm sorry to say that Goodbye Miss Mackenzie kind of what we tried to do or what we thought we were doing was sort of what David Bowie was doing in the early seventies. I mean, he Bowie. I mean, this is a bit kind of... We maybe thought too much of ourselves that we could do something like that. Boy, being a, an absolute genius, you know, we can't really compare ourselves to him, but he brought attention to the Velvet Underground, Lou Reed, um, and the New York Dolls. He wrote songs that involved the New York Dolls, and he he brought... He, he um, uh, mixed a Stooges album. And so the mainstream... He was bang in the middle of the mainstream, but he was sort of commercial enough to, to control what he was doing. But he was bringing in or pointing to all these other bands that were interesting that um, the average person in the street hadn't heard of. And all of those bands went on to have a huge impact on the punk scene. Um, all of those acts, you know, Ludied, the Stooges, the New York Dolls, even Mott the Hoople, they kind of were more real than the glam rock sort of the plastic glam rock of the time, like Shawadi Wadi, etc. So we we wanted to do something like that, where we were like a more commercial sounding band, but we were pointing to the Pixies and we were pointing to Nick Cave and we were, we were, we were bringing those... I mean, I think we were one of the first bands to cover a Nick Cave song. You know, I, I think that we had a Nick Cave track on the B-side of... I think it might have been our first big single on EMI, which was the song Goodbye Mr. McKenzie, it had a Nick Cave track on the B-side. Also, we we had a Stooges track on our B-side, and we had Jacques Brel on our B-sides, and that, and that kind of thing. So we were trying to build something, I think, um, but really, you know, we weren't really comparable in any way to, to, to the likes of David Boy. And that was the first part of my interview with Martin Metcalf from Goodbye Mr. McKenzie. Still two more to go and they do get more exciting and intriguing. But anyway, as I said, and I'll probably say it a few more times just because it's my age and I like to repeat myself. This is David Eastall on the C86 show. And now I think we should play another track by the band. This is The Rattler. Yeah. 
from their first ever album, which is, um, the track is called The Rattler, and that was the album Good Deeds and Dirty Rags. And I was doing some research because I knew I had seen Mr. McKenzie at the UEA many years ago, and I think they played there several times, including when they were supporting Debbie Harry many decades ago, obviously. So that might have been them because I definitely remember seeing them and um, being being sort of slightly mesmerised by John Duncan, who was the guitarist and he was a big chap and he often goes through by the term of uh, big, big John Duncan and he was a guitarist also in Exploited, the Exploited. So there you go. Lots of exciting facts. Anyway, David Eastall, the C86 show this week. Special guest, uh, obviously, is Mr. McKenzie. Goodbye. And uh, with Martin Metcalf. This is the second part of the interview with Martin, where I talk about that tricky world that was indie labels and major labels. Back in the day, they used to be very important discussions we used to have and get very angsty. I know we didn't have enough to worry about. I mean, it was the 80s. Everything was just so much fun. It was quite glam and lo- not glam rock, but just, it was, you know what it was? It was cinematic sounding. It was more like a cinematic thing. 
And um, but we weren't trying to be what the Simple Minds were doing at that point, and we d- definitely weren't trying to be what Deacon Blue were. We want to be a few, and and really that comes through in the lyrics more than anything. The lyrics are all the subject matter is. N- I, I would really challenge you to find a straightforward love song in, in any of our recordings. It's all you know, kind of deviant subject matter or 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 or. or you know, quite angsty subject matter. I mean, we were writing about, you know, suicide and rape and, and other things like that, which were obviously, we didn't really realise, but uh, it, it was kind of hurting our chances of, of, of becoming, I mean, we really wanted to be a big band. We didn't want to be a little band. I suppose that sort of correlates with the way that Noel Gallagher looked at it, you know, when he saw U2 and he was with the guy from the Inspiral Carpets and the guy from this car- in the spiral carpet said, "That's not where it's at." You know, looking at this band in this huge stadium with every everyone singing along, and and Noel Gallagher said, "No, you're wrong. That is where it's at." So there is always that kind of there's always a tension between commercialism and and what I would probably call artistry. You know, um, and I think for us, we we really worked very hard on our lyrics, and and hopefully. You know they stand up. They do. St- I know they do stand up. They, they still mean that something to people, and it's not on a standard boy meets girl level. And those sort of songs do mean a lot to people too. But we just didn't want to be repeating what everyone else had been discussing over the, you know, the rock period of forty years or so. Yes, because the other thing that I've I've noticed in quite a lot of interviews now is that most bands have a five-year narrative. You know, they get together, they do the single. Mm-hmm. You know, in mm-hmm. in the eighties, in the John Peel show was you know, or just getting a single or John Peel session, do the album, mm-hmm. then the tour, and then there was the tricky album. And if anybody ever toured America. That seemed to be the the absolute death of a band. You know, no one seemed to survive mm-hmm. America, which I I didn't, hadn't appreciated until virtually ninety nine percent of the people said yes. And then we did America, and then it all fell apart. So, you're you know keeping your band together, the first band, you've done you did really well. Mm-hmm. Well, we 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 didn't. You know, when I said we wanted to be the biggest band in the world, at the same time we didn't care. <laughs> We we loved playing tiny pubs. We played a little pub in in, in Germany that was probably the best gig we ever did to ninety people, and um, didn't really enjoy festivals like that Edwin Collins song, the totally detestable summer festival. We 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 didn't like festivals because we liked dark and we liked lighting. We didn't like daytime in a field, you know. So. We had a lot of we had a lot of contradictions about us, and um, eventually we ended up signing with uh, Debbie Harry's manager, who also was really famous for managing Talking Heads, and he and at that point he man he was managing the Ramones as well. So we fell back into our roots with um, a, on a later album with um, with him, and 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 we that kind of fell apart, which was a shame, but. Then came the Angelfish album, which was like a an expansion of what we were doing, and and it was giving Shirley Manson a a a, a soapbox to to stand on, really. And we we did that album. We toured America with a band called Life, who were kind of a big, you know, uh, REM type band in, in America that never really did anything here. And we toured the states, and 
yeah, we we kept it going as long as we were uh, fit enough to do it. And that, you know, as usual, the same old boring story: alcohol and drugs took their toll on the on the situation. And you know, you you do wear each other out with that sort of thing. But yeah, it's 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 not easy to. Some there was a great band up here called the Who Can Pull Gang, and they just never managed to be able to work with a producer well enough to, to get their album out. And they were they were fantastic. They sounded like a cross between... They were called a cross between Tina Turner and the Jesus and Mary Chain. They had this little girl... Um, not little girl. She was a woman that, that played drums. She was, But she was small. She was, you know, five feet tall. And she played drums and sang with this huge voice. And the band was described as the cross between Tina Turner and, and Jesus and Mary Chain or the Ronettes and the Sex Pistols, and that's really, it's a great description of their sound and their songs. But, they, you know, it's not easy. The business isn't easy. It's not easy to find uh, good working relationships with people, unless you're quite self-sufficient, like we try to be, you know, we try to produce ourselves and, um, you know, take a lot, pay attention to what was going on outside, you know, the, the recording studio, as in with the cash and all that, but it's not easy. Yes, because obviously you you sort of I mean a lot of bands. The other problem was that there was a bit of, a bit of a scene, even though nobody really felt part of it in the eighties, like the C eighty six kind of sound. But then when the dance stuff came up, you know, came along with the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays and that, mm. and then there was grunge as well. I think that mm. sort of knocked out about eighty percent of the bands. And then Brit Pop came, and most bands just mm. didn't manage it. But but quite a few thought, oh, if only we'd been about a few years later, we'd have probably been part yeah, of that scene. That's right. Yeah. But. You, yeah, and the, you, you it went through a phase. I mean, when 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 the acid scene happened, you know, I've heard those C, um, C eighty bands, C C sixty bands talk about how they thought this is never going to be. There's never going to be a space for us again. They really thought it was so overwhelming that everyone had changed their changed their taste forever. And then Britpop came along, and uh, and it was kind of a reversion to. Yes to post-punk. Were you a bit surprised when you saw bands like the Soup Dragons, who were so such an indie band from Scotland, and then suddenly they, they hit sort of the big time with a sort of a bit of a, a rave an- anthem? Yeah, that was that was interesting, because their singer was, like, geeky, and then he was a bit of a sex symbol suddenly. <laughs> it was pretty weird. But that was a great, really great song, you know, yes. um, or a great... A great piece of production and, uh, and and it was fabulous yeah I, I remember hearing that in in germany and i also remember discussing when we were recording in germany in 89 um with people there and they were going we love the zub dragons so yeah it was it was interesting yes so there was quite a lot of difference when you got to the mid 90s and Britpop was obviously in in your face and on the face and on top of the pops, mm. you you sort of recorded a couple of, stu- well you had quite a few albums, but you had a couple of studio albums out, which was um, mm. f- five in nineteen ninety four, and then a few years later the the gl- glory hole. Had much right, changed yeah. between those two? Because you're, obviously the lineups were different, were quite different. As yeah, well. they, I mean, they were, they, it was reduced a bit, and we'd kind of gone more basic, back to basics, back to where we came from. I mean. We came on the scene in the mid-80s where, as I said, engineers had taken over the circus kind of thing, more more or less. A few bands, you know, fought, I, I think fought 
you know, ignored that stuff, which was great, and that was the Pixies and the Cave, and there were also... But there were a lot of... You know, it wasn't so wonderful in 1987. It was... I think the front cover of the NME, they, this year's bands were The Darling Buds, The Wonder Stuff, and... Um, I forget the name of the other band now, who I actually quite liked, the Destroy the Heart band. Remember Destroy the Heart song? Mm. Um, yeah, I forget the name of the band, but the, those three bands were on the front cover of the enemy, and I really thought, is that is that it? You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't, there wasn't much depth to the underground at that point, but then the Pixies sort of jumped in there and, 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 and revved everything up again. Um, but yeah, the the album. So we we kind of went. That was our, you know, ideal was to be the Pixies. But we couldn't, you know, who can do that? Nobody can do that. <laughs> but yes. we uh, we had a go on that album five, you know, and took it back to more like our punk roots and and um, the Glory Hole as well, which was even heavier. And um, and then I had to go and sort myself out for a couple of years. <laughs> I had to um, sort things out. At base camp, yes. while of course, well of course, our backing singer, which is unheard of, the, the backing singer goes on to world fame and uh, and selling millions of records with, um, you know, uh, the guy that produced Nirvana and Beach Fig. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, and then we started again. You know, we started again in the 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 noughties. We we sort of brought in. My, uh, it was one of those indie things. I got my girlfriend to be the singer. You know, I, I enjoyed playing guitar behind Shirley. That was fun for me. And um, my, I, I got involved with a, a, an American girl, and she had a, I think she had a great voice. And um, we made a couple albums under the banner of Eyes and the Filthy Tongues, which sort of precedes what we're doing now. Yes. And, uh, so I suppose for indie, indie that that's when we were really indie. Is that those two albums with Size and the Filthy Tongues, yeah. very kind of pop, sort of sort of ragged pop, I would call it. Yeah, I mean, did you sort of was it sort of an emotional as well as kind of physical kind of period that you had to recover on the at this sort of mid to late nineties? I think they were they both went hand in hand. To be honest, because of. Of, of all the excesses, I didn't have any emotions worth naming. Um, in fact, I probably couldn't have told you what, I, you know, explained what an emotion was, apart from maybe anger and depression, those two. So, yeah, the, the re recuperation was physical and mental. Yes. And were you, at the time, when you saw, you know, Shirley sort of, um, sort of fronting garbage, was that quite a surprise? It was, you know, I, we knew that they were, when we were touring in America with Angelfish, we knew that, that Shirley was going to guest, in inverted commas, on this Butch Fig album, which was supposed to be all guest artists. It wasn't meant to be one singer for the full thing. But because I was, at that point, I was at the Fallen Apart stage, 1994, 95, um, Shirley took the opportunity to... To, to go with garbage and, and quite right, you know, and it was a surprise. I don't know. It, it seemed like a great idea. It seemed like it might be like a little, 
side project, like a cool side project that, that people do, um, an electronic, you know, dub album type side project. I thought that was how, how it was going to pan and that Shirley might, you know, get some 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 status out of it, some kind of platform out of it, and then move on and do something else. But as it turned out, they were super pop, you know, a great, great pop band with that kind of crossover electronica guitar sound. And um, so that was a surprise. Yeah, I suppose it was a surprise that they were an in-your-face real band at the end of it all, yeah. instead of an experiment. And when you sort of brought back your your sort of um, your sort of comeback, I suppose did that um, did you enjoy sort of trying to form another band with new members and starting again? I did enjoy it because, as I said, I, I really always loved playing guitar, and um, maybe people don't understand out there, but singers have got a, an incredible responsibility on in a band. Um, to connect, to go on stage and connect with an audience every night and to keep their voice in reasonable shape. You know, they've got to, like, look after themselves and um, the the spotlight's on them, which some people may love, but to be honest, it, it's a big responsibility. So I was quite happy to be the guitar player um, and it was fun. The interesting and complex world that is being in, in a band. I know as a sort of a geeky, um, I suppose, fanboy, I always thought it all looked rather exciting and um, I was slightly envious, but um, doing these interviews, it does sound a lot more um, tricky. An emotional roller coaster, I think we could put it down as. And also he was referring to Shirley, who was the back and vocalist and also keyboard player. That's Shirley Manson, who went on to be the front person in Garbage, who went absolutely global. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show, with a goodbye, Mr. McKenzie special. I think we'll play a little bit more music and then the last part of my interview. This is Now We Are Married.
track called Now We We Are Married. That came from their second studio album titled Hammer and Tongs. And as I said earlier, if you're paying attention, that one's recorded in Berlin at the same studio David Bowie recorded low many decades ago. Anyway, this is David Eastall on the C86 show with my goodbye, Mr. McKenzie special. Now, this is going to be the third part of my interview with Martin Metcalf. We're asking what he would say to his 18-year-old self starting out in the murky but interesting world that is rock and roll. I would have said, take it easy on the drink and the drugs. And and also, there's a weird thing happens when you start to become, you know, well-known. It's it's something that all these boy band managers seem to manage to tell, you know, help them with. Whereas in rock and roll, this management seems to ignore it. But it's... Keeping your feet on the ground is really difficult. You know, you start to, you can't help it. You know, you're getting a lot of attention and you're, and you're young and you, you, you feel invincible for a start. And you want to have a, you know, you want to have, life, life should be a party. You know, it's that Dandy Warhol's thing. Every day should be a holiday. And you don't really understand that, you know, it's, the, it, it, it's what you're creating that's the most important thing. It's nothing else. It's not. It's not sex, drugs, rock and roll. Well, the rock and roll, obviously, but the the, the it's it's the it's what you create, you know, and and being consistent and 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 you know having a work ethic. It sounds quite boring, actually. You know, if I think if I tried to give myself that advice, then I'd you know I'd tell myself where to go, you know. <laughs> so because it just sounds so boring, but right now I'm enjoying you know, creating and and. Um, that Skids album was a real amazing time. Also, Eyes in the Filthy Tongues created music for Richard's movie, which was pretty big in the around about 2011, uh, which called New New Ten Killers. We wrote the theme tune for that and um, created music within that. Some of the music for, for the movie, and uh, I just love it. You know, it's much much more interesting than. Being hedonistic, yes. really. Do you do you feel kind of a relief in a way that you've sort of got to where you are after, and sort of looking back at some other episodes? Do you are you relieved you're not that same person that you were in your twenties? Uh, I'm relieved. Yeah, I, I think you know there are a few little barriers at the moment to. You know, it's, it's like like we were talking about. It's it's not easy. The arts isn't an easy thing to be. It's not easy to. I, I don't want to be a whiner about it, but it's not really easy to pay the bills and do this. You know, and and give it as much attention as you you possibly can. Um, so it would be nice if we had more extra bodies around to you know deal with various you know technical bits and pieces management um, you know getting gigs and all that kind of thing it's down to yourself more you've got to be a you know a jack of all trades when you when you're pulling it together and it was funny because I heard um, one of the reasons that Noddy Holder quit Slade or said he'd finished with it was because he was doing the day-to-day management of the band and that's a band that could do you know massive festivals so and probably pay the rent quite you know, fairly easily, but they didn't have a manager; they did it themselves. So it's you know, 
there are good things about being on a major record label in those days, and there's great things about you know where I am at the moment. Yes. So I guess you just can't have what was the expression can't eat your cake and have it, which is the correct way around of saying it. I've been, you know, I've found out recently. And that is my third and final part of the interview with Martin Metcalf from the band Goodbye, Mr McKenzie. And a big thank you for Martin for giving me the time and uh, telling me all about life, love and poetry and all that groovy stuff that happens when you're in a band and just amazing honesty. So, yes, thank you, Martin, for that. Now, I've got, um, I believe, time for two more tracks. I think we'll play, well, another track by Goodbye, Mr McKenzie. And frankly, if you're a good fan, fill your boots. If you're not a big fan, then, well, frankly, you should be because they were an amazing band. This is Face to Face. Rick three times, Rick three times by the boys from the pub. With the daytime jobs, you know they need to unwind. You know they need to unwind. Mother always said, be a good girl, don't push your luck, don't get too low cut, but it's a pushy world. It's a pushy world So if you've got it Don't it Cause the cameras and bright lights They all want it Silence, she sits with the scars on her wrist She's never alone Laughing eyes make her clench her fists They make her clench her fists For the blood and the sperm still run down her leg Like it did that night And the sick on the pavement is still in her hair It's still in her
I know, I always feel a bit cheap and cheerful when I um, have to fade a song before it finishes. But anyway, that was uh, Goodbye Mr McKenzie with a track called Face to Face. And that, sadly, dear listener, is the end of the show. This has been David Eastor on the C86 Show. If you want to uh, contact me, you can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 Show and I will be there. But I'll leave you with one more track by Mr McKenzie. This is a track called Open Your Arms. Have a great week. And next week, I'll have another special guest.